And it's my task just for a few minutes to help us to reflect and to think upon Christmas and upon this message of the angels and that event of 2,000 years ago that we celebrate at this time of year. And I don't know about you, but I can't think of a time in my lifetime when Christmas and the situation of the world and of our nation and our culture can seem in tension with each other because things seem so uncertain. There is so much anxiety around us. If we're honest, in the United Kingdom, at this moment, in this time, we do not know where we will be in 12 months' time. Just this last week has seen a leadership election for the Prime Minister. Brexit negotiations, unfinished and inconclusive. And seemingly every pundit, every politician who appears on TV or radio seems not to have a clue. There are so many big questions in our society. Uncertainty as I speak as to who is the winner of the Apprentice or Sports Personality of the Year. Controversy over the winner of Strictly, should it have been Stacy? Wasn't Ashley the better dancer? These are the big questions of our time. And yet, if we're honest, as we think about the world in which we live, there are some bigger, more profound, more poignant questions. For many of us, especially at Christmas time, it's tempting to think of and imagine a better world. Imagine a time where politics was different. Imagine a time, perhaps, where politicians were different. Imagine, perhaps, a world where Morgan Freeman or Jed Bartlett was actually in the White House, as opposed to the current occupant. Where our Prime Minister really was Hugh Grant from Love Actually. <laughs> Just imagine Theresa May, no, don't even think about it doing that particular dance. Or perhaps the temptation is to think that Christmas, and therefore the world, is for one brief period of time really like a John Lewis advert. But I don't know about you, but as I've watched the Christmas adverts this year, it just seems, it just seems as though their hearts aren't in it. Whether it's Marks and Spencers, whether it's John Lewis, whether it's that carrot thing. I don't know where that's going. But the advertisers even this year, their hearts just don't seem in it. There's this tension between the world that we find ourselves in and this dream of a preferred future or indeed of a regained glorious past that never was. This week I found myself listening to the words of a million dreams from the greatest showman it was being performed at a school Christmas concert, and it felt strangely prophetic and poignant as the school choir sang these words. They can say, they can say it all sounds crazy. They can say, they can say I've lost my mind. I don't care, I don't care if they call me crazy. We can live in a world that we design. Cause every night I lie in bed, the brightest colors fill my head, a million dreams are keeping me awake. I think of what... 
only halfway through. I didn't interrupt you. <clears throat> I think of what the world could be, a vision of the one I see. A million dreams is all it's gonna take. Now you can clap. That hope, that idea that somehow that person will stop singing those words. <laughs> it's actually the dream, the hope of what we call the Enlightenment. What took place here in Scotland four or five hundred years ago where people said we can be better than this. We can think differently than this. We can think of a world that could be even better. And yet, as human beings, the reality is that we're not improving. In fact, as we live in a world caught up in post-modern, post-globalization, post-Trump, post-Brexit cynicism and fatigue, if we're honest, there isn't a lot of hope left. Politicians show no signs of fixing things. The economists aren't doing much better. Global warming is increasing, and your career and my career isn't going to save us. Literally, we are left to our own devices. We want things to get better, but they aren't. If anything, they're getting worse. And so we turn to Christmas, Christmas 2018, and we find ourselves in this odd juxtaposition of singing words that speak about a preferred future, that speak about a better that speak about events 2,000 years ago where the angels sang and where people dreamed and hoped that things could be better. And we see the world around us and we wonder whether it's true. And yet that hope, that hope that things can be different, that things can be better, then humanity can be more than all that we see around us lies at the heart of Christmas. That somehow these words from 2,000 years ago might be true, that God did indeed become a human being and begin to put things right, to turn the world upside down, or if you prefer, right side up. In that last reading from Luke's Gospel, we have, if you like, the first Christmas power ballad. It's known as the Magnificat, the Song of Mary, a song whispered in monasteries, chanted in cathedrals for 2,000 years, a song that Mary, the mother of Jesus, sings as she meets her elderly cousin Elizabeth and discovers that what the angel Gabriel had told her, that her elderly cousin was pregnant, is true. And Mary thinks, if that bit is true, then the rest of what the angel Gabriel told to me is also true. Mary is going to be pregnant herself as well with God's own son, Jesus, the Messiah. And long before Feed the World or Driving Home for Christmas, we have the first Christmas song with a message. And the message is perhaps three things. Firstly, that the God of Christmas is a personal God. It's striking that repeatedly Mary emphasizes that God is her God. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. God for Mary 
had come close. God for Mary was now not this theological abstract idea, but now God was personal. Now God could be known, and we could be known by God. At Christmas, God makes it personal. Fifty years ago, and I'm sure we'll hear more about this over the next two or three weeks, Apollo 8 became the first manned spacecraft to orbit the moon. And I remember as a seven-year-old watching on my black-and-white TV these flickering pictures incredibly coming back from the other side of the moon. And what struck the astronauts wasn't the lunar surface that was just beneath them. What struck them was as they came round from behind the moon, they were the first people not to see a sunrise, not to see a moon rise, but to see an earth rise. And they took this remarkable picture, and Commander Jim Lovell spoke these words. The vast loneliness is awe-inspiring, and it makes you realize just what you have back there on earth. And the Christian faith proclaims that God himself came down to this earth. In the words of one writer, he couldn't make himself any bigger to impress us, so he made himself smaller to attract us. God is personal. The second thing that comes through this song of Mary is that the God that God revealed himself is a God of justice. Mary and Elizabeth are two people steeped in what we call the Old Testament. Hundreds of years of scriptures. We began with one from the book of Isaiah, written 800 years before Jesus was born. Mary and Elizabeth knew of prophecies that spoke of a different world, a better world, and therefore they shared a dream, a dream that all of the things that the prophets had written about would come true. That one day, all the bullies, all the power brokers, all the powerful, all the forces of evil and oppression would be gone. Mercy and hope and peace would come at last. Poverty, injustice, and suffering would come to an end. God chooses and sides, if you like, with the nobodies. Mary sings that rulers are brought down. The rich are sent away empty. The humble are lifted up. And the hungry are fed. Because thirdly and finally, the God that Mary knew, the God that we're invited to know, is a God who keeps his promises. Promises made hundreds of years before to Abraham and his descendants, and now here in this song, the Magnificat, 30 weeks before the first Christmas, 30 years before the first Easter, these words come true. God keeps his promises, and the Messiah comes. That well-known theologian, Bono, recalls what happened to him one Christmas Eve. he just finished another of the world tours of U2, and the band had returned to Dublin. The night before Christmas, Bono slipped into St. Patrick's Cathedral in Dublin, presumably wearing dark glasses, although we know now he always wears dark glasses for medical reasons. And these are his words as he sat behind a pillar. The idea that God 
if there was a force of logic and love in the universe, that it would seek to explain itself is amazing enough. That it would seek to explain itself and describe itself by becoming a child born in poverty, in crap and straw. A child. I just thought, wow. Just the poetry. That unknowable love, unknowable power, describes itself as the most vulnerable. And it was there, sitting there, And it's not that it hadn't struck me before, but the tears came streaming down my face, and I saw the genius of this, the utter genius of picking a particular point in time and deciding to turn on this. And that's the hope of Christmas. That's the hope at the heart of the Christian faith that God has acted decisively in history, that God did come in human form, that God did live the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died, to restore, if you like, the factory settings in creation, to put it back as to how it once was, to put it back as to how it was always meant to be, to put it back to how it once will be when the kingdom of God comes fully, when Jesus comes again. That the world will be not the world that we make or the world that we design or the world that we dream of, but the world that God made. A world with no injustice, no poverty, no homelessness, no loneliness, no confusion, no debt, No sickness, no disease, no sadness, and no death. And the decision that you and I make about that claim, the claim of Christmas, is the most important decision that we will ever make. It's more important than our career choice. It's more important than our choice of life partner. It's more important than who wins strictly. It's even more important than who wins or loses the debate about Brexit. Because if these words are true, if this really did happen, then that changes everything. It changes everything in time. It changes everything in eternity. It changes everything in life. And it changes everything in death. We'd love to invite you to examine the evidence as to whether it is true or not and make your mind up yourself. Along with lots, thousands of churches around the UK, indeed millions of churches around the world, we run this thing called the Alpha Course. It's a course specifically designed for people with questions. Over 26 million people around the world now have done it. Not all have become Christians, but it's a chance for you to come and to sit and to think for yourself, and to ask the questions that you have about life, about love, about faith, about God, about this person of Jesus Christ, who Christians believe didn't just stay as a baby in a manger, but grew up, lived the most perfect life, said the most extraordinary things, 
but then actually came back to life, was raised up again, defeated death in order that you and I may also defeat death. And those claims are either true or false. And therefore, we'd love to invite you to come back to this place on Wednesday the 30th of January at 7.30. There'll be a meal, there'll be a video presentation each week, and then a chance for you to ask questions. And you can ask any question that you like. It lasts a couple of months. But what is a couple of months? What are eight Wednesday evenings when you're making the most important decision, I believe, that you will ever make in your life. We'd love you to be part of that. Because beyond Brexit, beyond Trump, beyond the turkey and the carols, beyond the chaos and the uncertainty, beyond the anxiety and the despair, Christians believe that there is still hope. And that hope remains at the heart of Christmas. That as Jesus comes, all things will be made new including us.